It was back in April of this past year that I preached a five-part sermon series. In that series, I revealed that in a time of prayer, God had shown me specifically five things I needed to pray for. I pray for your power, your presence, your purpose, your passion, your providence, your peace, your purity, and your provision, and your protection. Nine Ps, ten if you count prayer. And I pray, and have been ever since, praying that God would fill me with those. That series was very personal to me because it was given to me in a time in which I was seeking God. That's an example, just an example of how God communicates with me. Maybe that's how He communicates with you when you're praying. Well, here we go again, except this time it's five D's, different but the same. And the difference this time is the do's versus the don'ts. Those 10 P's were all do's. Please fill me with those power presence. Please do. These five D's are don'ts. I don't desire them. I don't need them. I don't want them. God, please protect me. So every day now I pray this prayer, Lord, protect me. Keep me from being deceived from being distracted, from being, being dissuaded, discouraged, or disheartened. I pray daily these five things cannot happen to me and cannot happen to the church because I am filled with the power and the presence and the purpose and the passion of God. This is not a method. I've said it every week in the series. Methods are not the power of God. Methods are religion without the power of God. So this is my five-week plan, Lord willing. We're going to talk about these five Ds. The series itself I called While We Wait. Because I don't know about you. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I can only tell you what's going on in my heart. I'm waiting for a king to come. That's it. I don't have anything else up on that level of the agenda. That's it. Number one purpose and calling of my life is I believe in the soon return of Christ. And we're supposed to be preparing ourselves, the church, and as many outside the church as possible for the day that king arrives. Because he is coming. While we wait, we need to pray that God protects us from these five things. They are tools of Satan. Powerful tools they can destroy our fellowship with God and our ability to serve our Lord Jesus. We've already covered two of the five. We began with the word deceived. We went to the word last week, distracted. And today we hit number three called dissuaded. Let me tell you the definition of this third word. Not so common a word in our vocabulary. Dissuaded is to persuade someone not to take a particular course of action. Let me say it again. It is to persuade somebody not to take a particular course of action. Example of that word would be, she tried to dissuade me from taking that flight. Is this one dangerous? like being deceived or like being distracted? Let me answer that question with a question. Has there ever been a time which someone tried 
to dissuade or persuade you to not do something that you knew you were supposed to do. Either a dissuading person on the outside trying to keep you away from something you know you're supposed to do, or there's another option, a dissuading voice on the inside trying to keep you away from doing that which you know you're supposed to do. It can come from the external or it can come from the internal, this dissuading power, this, this power that tries to persuade or convince you against doing that which you know is right and true. Let me make it even more simple. Has someone or something ever convinced you to not do something that you knew that you were supposed to do? You see, dissuaded is not do something. It, it is not to do something, to not do something that you were called by God. Let me say it again. Dissuaded is to not do something. To not do something that you were called by God to do. Can you see the danger of that in the scripture? The first D we covered deceived is pretty simple. God said don't and they did. It's called sin. The second D called distracted is just being so consumed with life that you miss the main point of life. And then you die. But this third D is not about this third day is about not. Not doing the thing that God has called you to do. Most people realize that life is filled with do's and don'ts. In fact, that's how most people see religion. How do most people outside see religion? Religion is a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? That's how the world sees Christianity itself. We usually associate sin with the don'ts. That's how the world... That's why the world sees church or Christianity as restrictive. Because if I become a Christian, you, there's a bunch of don'ts, right? That's how they see it. So let's use the Ten Commandments as an example. I want to look at how the world sees religion, but in reality, what do the Ten Commandments say about do's and don'ts? And how does that affect this, this word today? The first of the Ten Commandments is what? Do not put any other God before me. There's a don't. Number two, do not make an idol to worship in place of me. There's a don't. Do not misuse my name. There's a don't. That's the first three, and notice that they're all don'ts. But notice the next two. Remember, keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, that's a do. Remember, I want you to do something. Number five, honor your mother and father. That's a do, not a don't. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not give false testimony. And finally, number 10, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. There are eight don'ts and two do's. Most of the time, we, the church, focus on the sins of commission. I'll admit it. It just seems to be more easy to talk about. We focus on the sins of commission, the don'ts. But there is another dangerous sin against God, the sins of omission, the do's that we never did. Is that sin? The do's that we never did. They are just as dangerous and deadly as the don'ts. 
So let's begin our study of this dangerous word, dissuaded. And to do it, we're going to go to the Old Testament. I begin in the Old Testament, but I'll tell you up front, listen, I'm going to tell you up front, the reason I go to the Old Testament specifically is this. In the New Testament, Jesus brings up the exact same story, which tells me it is life itself. The man's name was Naaman. And you need to understand something as I begin the story. He's a Gentile. He's not Jewish. He's a Gentile. He's the commander of the army of Aram. Naaman was powerful and respected military general, but Naaman had one giant big problem. He had leprosy. Chad talked about this subject a few weeks ago. This is where the story gets interesting and even what I call providential. Naaman's wife had a servant girl that was Jewish. What a lucky coincidence. Naaman's wife, this powerful military general who has leprosy, has a wife who has a servant girl who's Jewish. The Jewish girl was actually a slave that was captured during one of those military campaigns against Israel. A slave girl brought back to be a servant of Naaman's family. In 2 Kings 5 verse 3, we pick up the story. One day, the girl, the servant girl, said to her mistress, the wife of Naaman with leprosy, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Can you see God's providence yet? God is in this story. It's not a lucky coincidence. Naaman wants to be healed of this terrible disease, so he does something. He takes some initiative. He he gets approval from his king to go to the king of Israel and seek out this prophet that lives in Samaria. He's going to have to get the approval of two different kings for this powerful general to go into a foreign nation into Samaria and see a prophet of God. The king of Israel thinks it's a trick, becomes very upset until the prophet, here he comes, his name is Elisha, until Elisha comes and calms down the Israel king and says, uh, Elisha says this to the king, send Naaman to me. So the king of Israel sends Naaman to Elisha. Here we go, verse 9. So Naaman went with his horse and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with a message. Go and wash yourself. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And then your skin will be restored and you will be healed from your leprosy. Remember, Naaman is a powerful and influential military general, and Elisha does something that could seem or look disrespectful to his power and authority. He doesn't even come to the door. He doesn't even come out on the front porch. He sends a messenger. He just sends a messenger. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Your skin will be restored. You'll be healed. Have a nice day. Now, here comes the first lesson today regarding this word, dissuaded. 
Can you be dissuaded by your own pride? Is it, is it dangerous that you could be dissuaded from doing something that God wants you to do simply by your own self, by your own pride? Can your own pride persuade you to not do what God has called you to do? Something on the inside, not something on the outside, but you. Can you dissuade you? Is that possible? Naaman, a Gentile, has traveled all the way to Samaria. And Naaman has found the Jewish prophet that his Jewish servant girl had told him about. He had gotten the approval of two kings. So listen, he'd already gone through quite a bit of effort to get here. This Jewish prophet, Elisha, has given the prescription that would totally cure his leprosy. You need to understand something. What just came out of Elisha's mouth is the word of God, not the word of Elisha. It is the cure of leprosy itself. But, but, here comes that word, dissuaded. Next verse, verse 11. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Albana and the Farfar, better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. There is something inside of Naaman that is dissuading him from hearing and receiving the healing of God. Listen, here's the big point today. What is it? There's something inside of this man. This man has leprosy. You know how bad that would be? Especially in that day. And he is now, he he has traveled to a different country, received the approval of two kings, talked to a prophet who gave him the medicine that would cure him, and he's mad? He walks away mad because he didn't even come out on the porch. Dissuaded. To persuade someone not to take a certain course or action. Healing is right in front of Naaman. It's this close. It's this close. It's well within his reach. But pride, and let me define what pride is. The inner voice of self. The inner voice of self has dissuaded Naaman from taking hold of God's healing. Pride. Now he's just mad. Let's get out of here. Now, Naaman's pride, here here we go, listen carefully. Naaman's pride said, don't. That's what dissuaded does. It says, don't do it. There's a voice inside of us at certain points, certain intersection of our lives. This voice inside of us, this prideful, selfish voice, deceived, distracted voice says, don't. Don't do it. Don't believe it. Don't receive it. I want to tell you right now. Let me label it. It is a tool of Satan. It's Satan. 
The Bible says that it was pride that caused the fall of Satan. So where does this human pride that dissuades us and says, don't do what God says, yes, do, where does it come from? Where, where did we get it? This, this thing inside of us that says, don't, when God says, do, where does it come from? The Bible says that the fall of Satan came from this sickness. Pride. Let me read it to you. It's in Ezekiel 28, verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. Red, carnelian, pale green, peridot, white, moonstone, blue, green, beryl, onyx, green, jasper, blue, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and emerald. All beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day that you were created. I ordained, God is speaking in this text, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until... You were blameless in all you did from the day that you were created until the day that evil was found in you, Satan. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty, and gu mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride. There you go. That's where it comes from. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Do you think this dissuaded thing, this pride thing, has any, any, impact, any impact on us today? Or this is just ancient history stuff? This sermon is called While We Wait, this series. We are waiting for our king, and until then, we are all weary travelers on our way to the promised land. Like the picture of Israel in the wilderness. I, so many times in my life today, I compare the church, and I think it's a legitimate comparison. I compare the church in our day, in our time, since the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, I compare the church to Israel in the wilderness. We've been set free. The price has already been paid. The deliverer has already come and offered us a way through the wilderness into the promised land. But until we get to the promised land, you got to hang on. So we, the church, we've been set free. We've already had this rescue out of Egypt. The cross was our rescue out of Egypt broke our chains, broke our bondage, a deliverer, not Moses, has come to us, and now we find ourselves weary travelers in the wilderness. And Satan's here. He's here. God warned the children of Israel about this deadly pride that dissuades the heart of man from, being, from fully obeying and following God's voice. As I read this interaction between God and Israel, 
some 1,500 years before Christ. As I read it today, see if you can see the church. See if you can see the American church. I'm going to try to connect the dots between ancient Israel trying to get from bondage to the promised land to the church trying to get from the bondage through the wilderness into the promised lands. Look at the comparison. Forty years of weary wandering in the desert, weary travelers in the wilderness waiting for the deliverer to escort them to the promised land. I'm going to tell you, as I read this, that's you and that's me. Just in a different time. Deuteronomy 8 verse 4. Put yourself in this story as I read it. For all these 40 years, they 40 years walking around in the wilderness. The promised land's just over the Jordan River. So close. For all the 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey. Obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and fearing Him. There's a do. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water. What do you think heaven's going to be like? A good land with flowing streams, pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and the hills. It's a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing, nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. And when you have eaten your fill, be sure, this is the American connection, church connection, And when you have become prosperous, when you get the promised land, and when you have eaten your field, be sure, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Then God does something. He gives them a warning. He says, I'm going to take you out of the wilderness. And Joshua finally led them across the Jordan into the promised land. And he says, when when you get there, be sure to praise God. Be, Be sure not to forget. Don't become deceived. Don't become distracted. Don't get dissuaded in your prosperity, church, American church. Then God gives them the the warning. This is God's warning to Israel after they found peace in the promised land, after they found some peace over Jordan River. Verse 11. But that is the time to be careful. When? is when you're comfortable. When everything seems to be going okay. I got plenty to eat. I got good, I got a big house. I got a nice car. I, I, I'm, everybody's got more than enough. But be careful. That's the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord, your God, and disobey his commands and regulations and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full, America, when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, And when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful! Why? Why? Isn't that the time that you should be partying? 
Be careful. Do not become proud. At that time, and what, what would pride do? What, what's the danger of pride? Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Church, do not become proud in your comfort and forget the God that rescued us from our Egypt. This is God's warning to America today. Do not become proud in your time of plenty. Why? Pride declares self-sufficiency. And there is no such thing. We will die without God. Dependence upon self is prideful. Dependence upon self is deadly. It is to be dissuaded from depending upon God. Now back to Naaman's story. God's mercy and God's providence is still in this Naaman story. And God's put, God puts truth inside the heart of one of Naaman's military officers. Naaman has just pitched an angry fit, a pride-filled angry fit, ran away, but God's still in the story. Verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, Naaman, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So should... So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. Those are some wise officers. It all looked too simple to Naaman. The cure didn't seem to fit the size of the sickness. It's too simple. Now this is big. I want you to understand something in this picture. The cure didn't seem to Naaman to fit the size of the sickness. I'm going to stop right now and connect our stories here to the story of Naaman. Does the, let me ask you a question. Does the cure to our sickness, sin, I, I don't know that any of you have leprosy, but the picture is this. Why do people die? That was point number one, deceived, two weeks ago. Why do people die? Sin. So ultimately, our biggest issue is sin. If you could stop sin, you could stop death. If sin is causing death. So why do people die? Because of sin. So here's the question. Does the cure to our sickness called sin... A sickness that surely leads to death and eternal separation from God. Does the cure sound too simple to be true? Could the cure to death be as simple as believing and receiving the word of God by faith? Could the cure of death be so simple as this? Believing and receiving the word of God by faith. Can human pride dissuade a dying man from taking a drink of living water? Can human pride say, don't do it? When everything of God says, do it, I'll save you. Can human pride dissuade a dying man from taking possession of eternal life? 
Don't do it. Where does that come from? The original proud Satan gave it to you, gave it to me. If you heard a word from God that told you to go and offer a lamb sacrifice on Mount Rainier. Uh, several years ago, I had a chance to go out west and I went to Mount Rainier. It's one of the biggest mountains out west. Beautiful, beautiful place, but it'd be really hard to get to the top of it. But if you heard a word from God that told you to go, that you need to get a lamb and the lamb needs not have any spots on it, and you need to get a lamb and, and take that to the top of Mount Rainier, and, and you needed to build an altar, and on that altar you would need to sacrifice it. And if you would do that, you would make peace with God and all your sins would be forgiven. Would that seem more appropriate than anyone who believes and is baptized is saved? Would, that, would you think, now that makes sense to me. Because you know what? It takes a lot to get to the top of Mount Rainier. Would that make more sense? Do you see where I'm going with this? Or what if the Son of God just said this? You, you don't have to go to Mount Rainier. You don't have to get a lamb. You don't have to build an altar on that ice-covered mountain. Um, what if he just said this? Mark 16, 15. And then he, Jesus, told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, and anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe, well, they'll be condemned. Is that too simple? There's a do for everybody here today. Go into all the world and do for them what Elisha is doing for Naaman. Won't you just start there? Tell them about God's plan to save them, not from leprosy, but from death itself. Would you believe Elisha? Would you believe Jesus today? What would dissuade you? And what would dissuade Naaman? Dissuade. To persuade someone not to take a particular course of action. There must have been all kinds of voices inside Naaman's head that day. All kinds of do's and all kinds of don'ts. Everything's, he's got this leprosy. That's real. He can't deny the leprosy. It's real. He can't have a close relationship with anybody because of this leprosy. And now somebody has told him how to be healed. All these voices, all these do's, all these doings, all these uh, don'ts going on in his mind. I heard Dr. David Reagan years ago say something that I've never forgotten. He said, all the religions of the world have do's and don'ts, but only Christianity says this word, done. Done. It's finished. Could it be that simple? Do you believe it? Do you believe him? What would dissuade you from believing this? Let's see which voice Naaman listens to. Pride, that inner voice that says don't, or that external voice of God from Elisha that says do. Which one? Which one? Verse 14. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's. He was healed. I sat in my chair the day that I wrote this and my skin tingled and my tears welled up in my eyes and I read that verse. You know why? 
in that moment, something hit me. How reachable, how simple the gospel of Jesus Christ is. How reachable, how simple it is. God has made our healing so simple and so near. I'm not trying today to oversimplify the gospel of Christ. That's not my point. I'm not even telling you that it's easy to come to Christ. No. In fact, I think it's quite hard to come to Christ. You know why? Because it's unnatural. It's unnatural. It's against the corrupted sin nature of man. So I'm not acting like it's easy, any more easy than it was for Naaman to accept the, the command of a guy who wouldn't even come out on the front porch to meet him. Pride is natural. Our pride is a dangerous dissuader. Pride keeps the focus on you, but healing comes when we focus on God and His Word. Where does this dissuading pride come from? Anyway, do you know how dangerous it is? In 1 John, let's go to the New Testament, 1 John 2.15. He says this, Do not love the world nor the things it offers. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. You see the battle between the two? If you love the world, you do not. You do not have the love of the Father in you. Now it gets more clear. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and, and pride, here it comes, pride in our achievements. Look what I did. Look at my resume. Look at my trophies. Look at my life. Look at my car. Look at my house. Look at this stuff. That's the meaning of your life, but you're going to die. But you're going to die. These are not from the Father. Well, if they're not from the Father, then where are they from? You see this pride? Very clearly, it says, these are not from the Father. Then where are they from? But they're from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God, they'll, they'll live forever because it'll override their pride. It's all passing away. Everything you and I know right now in this world, it's all passing away. And whether or not you want to admit it or not, you're passing away. We all today have a form of terminal leprosy that surely leads to death and eternal separation from God. That's why it's called good news. Jesus' gospel is good news. So let's go back to the Naaman coming out of the water at the Jordan River. And before I do, I want to show you a picture. There's a picture of a baptism. I told you that one of the, there, there you go, on the big screen. Um, this is in 2010 when Eddie and Cheryl and, and my wife and I went to uh, Israel and um, my, my original baptism was in Salt River down by Glensboro. And I was 13 years old. I think that's what, how old I was. But when we were in Israel, that's in the Jordan River. Um, it was kind of a ceremonial. For me, it was an act of worship. Um, we, we, I was baptized by Dr. David Reagan in the Jordan River. And let's use that as a similar example to the Mount Rainier. You got to get a a sheep and go and build an altar on top of Mount Rainier. Would, would, would that seem more appropriate to you than the simplicity of the gospel? You see, the reality is, what if, 
What if everybody had to go to Israel and there was one spot in the Jordan River you had to go to and that was the only way you could get peace with God and forgiveness of sins? You had to go to that spot and you had to have a certain person baptize you in that spot. And it had to happen only at, uh, on one month of the year. Would that be more reasonable, more proportional, more believable to you? Because the reason I say all of this about Mount Rainier and the Jordan River and show you that picture is this. You, you don't have to go to the Jordan River. You, you, don't, you don't have to go to Mount Rainier. That's all good news. 2 Kings 5.15. Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. Now he's just come out of the water and he's lepers, he's gone. He went back to find Elisha. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know. Those three words. He said, I, I get it. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Now I know. That would have never happened if Naaman, Naaman had allowed his pride to dissuade him from following the word of God through Elisha. Is everybody listening? How did he get to the point where he said, now I know? If he had allowed pride to dissuade him, he would have never came to the place of knowing God. Now I know. Naaman knows God because Naaman experienced God. How? By doing, by obeying the word of God and not listening to the voice of pride. I told you, there were do's and don'ts, and Naaman experienced God through the do. Naaman is so overwhelmed with thanksgiving that he wants to shower Elisha with gifts. Naaman has with him, listen, he has with him, you, you, you believe he's a powerful man, a rich man? Naaman has with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing, and Elisha won't accept any of it, none of it. So then Naaman asked Elisha for something that moves my soul. He tries to give him gifts, but Elisha says, nope, nope, nope. So then it turns around, and Naaman asks Elisha for this. Verse 16. Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any of your gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gifts, Elisha refused. And then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place. Where's he at? He's in Israel. Two of my mules with dirt from this place, and I will take back home with me. And from now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord. He's going to make a place of dirt in his hometown where he can kneel down and offer sacrifices because he has now been so moved by this God of Elisha. Verse 18, however, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god of Ramon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow too. And Elisha said, what? Go in peace. Elisha said, so Naaman started home. 
God had purified Naaman's heart in the Jordan River, not just his skin. No other gods. Forgive me if my job puts me in a compromising place in the future. You see what he was asking? Because of his position and authority, he was going to be put in a compromising position when he went back under the authority of his pagan king. Prideful heart has been replaced by a humble, thankful heart. So here's the closing today. Do you remember that I told you that Jesus talks about this story in the New Testament? It's one verse. Luke 4, 27. And Jesus says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one healed. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. You know what happened in the next verse after he said that? They tried to push him over a cliff. Now he's talking to Jews. And he's telling these Jewish people that had this prideful self-righteousness. He's talking to these Jewish people and saying, there were all kinds of lepers back in the time. But only one of them, there were Jewish lepers. But he goes to a Gentile leper and he heals him. And the Jews became so mad at Jesus' story that they tried to push him over a cliff. Well, they didn't. Naaman was a Gentile. And here's why I bring that up to close today. Naaman is you. Naaman is me. You and I were born with a terrible sickness called sin. And it leads to certain death and eternal separation from God. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be set free from the power of sin and death? Do you want to receive the promise of God of the resurrection and a totally new, pure, holy, eternal body, flesh? Do you? I do. Go wash and be cured. What did you think I was going to say? Go wash and be cured. That's what Naaman heard from the man of God. If God asked you something big today, would you believe him? Just go wash and be cured. I have a feeling there are people listening to me right now. Listen to me right now. Either you're in the room or you're watching online. And that's too simple. It's too simple. It doesn't fit the, the size of the sickness in your mind. You're being dissuaded. You're pride. Go wash and be cured. If God asked you to do something big, maybe you'd believe that. Today, you have encountered God through his word. It's that simple. It's that wonderful. Today, you are one of these guys in God's story, Elisha or Naaman. Naaman has a before and Naaman has an af uh, after. He's like two different people. Which one are you? But after Naaman believed, he became an Elisha. Sharing the good news with others. God offers the cure to death itself through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And who would turn this down? Who? Dissuaded is to persuade someone to not take a particular course of action. What could possibly dissuade you from believing and receiving this eternal healing? Pride. I heard a preacher years ago say, pride is the national religion of hell. It'll be celebrated eternally in hell. 
Pride is the religion of self. And in hell, all you will have is you. Nothing else. All alone, forever, just you. I guess you can worship you there. Pride. Pride is a powerful force that dissuades and destroys. Pride will keep you out of the promised land. Pride will keep you out of the family of God. Naaman was a Gentile, and God opened the door for a Gentile to become a child of God. How big is that? That's really big. God's still doing it today. God, what he did to Naaman was a preview of what he was going to do in the church age. But I've got to tell you, I read the book of Romans, and in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul said this, one day the time of the Gentiles will end. And the door that was opened to offer the mercy to the non-Jewish world, the Gentile world, one day the door will close. And the last Gentile will walk in the door. Who would turn this down? Pride is a life of self, and you can't save yourself any more than Naaman could heal himself. So I'm going to ask Chad to come out for the invitation. And as he does, I'm going to ask you this. Go wash and be cured. Is it the water? Is it the water? Does baptism save you? Listen carefully. Does baptism save you? I don't believe baptism in itself saves anybody. Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever believes and is baptized. Does that diminish baptism? No, it doesn't diminish baptism. It elevates baptism. Is, is it too simple for you? Go wash and be healed. Go wash and be cured. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. What in the world would make anybody turn this down? Knowing that in front of you, there's a tombstone. It's got the original date, your birth date. They're just waiting to fill in the second date. And it's in front of every one of us. Who would turn this down? We all got this leprosy thing, this death thing. Everybody's got it. Go wash and be healed. Receive eternal life. It's too simple? No, it's not too simple. It is within your reach. It's right smack in front of you. But there's a voice inside of you that says, don't. 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 It's your pride. It came from Satan. He's going to the lake of burning sulfur. Don't go with him. You don't have to go with him. Right now, we're the weary travelers in the story, in the wilderness waiting for the promised land. Go wash. Be cured. The invitation's open. We'll stand together.